everybody and welcome along to this week's edition of the Irish Golfer Podcast brought to you in association with KPMG. I'm your host Peter Finnan. It's hard to believe but next week marks the one year anniversary since we went into lockdown for the first time. So three waves of COVID closures later and despite having one of the best summers of growth in between, the golf industry, like most industries in the country, are at a bit of a crossroads. By April 5th this year when hopefully golf gets the green light, Courses will have been closed for a total of 189 days, that's 27 weeks since last March. This is the longest closure of golf in any country in the world. And this week we're going to take a look at the impact of these closures on our clubs and the golf industry in general. So we're joined by four guests from various sectors across the golf industry. And I suppose before we get into it, the debate won't give us answers as to when golf will open again. None of us have those answers. But it's a general chat with some of the golf industry people who, like you and me, are golfers but happen to work in various roles throughout the game so first to introduce the guest for this week so the managing director of car golf services who look after 19 golf clubs in ireland uh, at present we're joined by ed pettit hi ed hi peter and to look at the different aspects of golf across two different types of clubs catering for two sectors of the industry one being a little bit more travel and tourism and the other being Irish golf focused, I suppose, more on the home market. We're joined by PGA professional and director of golf from Ardglass, Paul Vaughan. Hi, Paul. How you doing, Peter? And then from Lucan Golf Club in West Dublin, we're joined by general manager Mark Ruddy. Hi, Mark. How are you doing, Peter? Good, good. And finally, this long drum roll of guests, we're joined by the man who sat in the hot seat this time last year the CEO of the GUI at the time and has really overseen our first return into golf last May. He's now the director at Leftfield Sports Consulting, Mr. Pat Finn. Hi, Pat. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me. It's been a bit of a mad year for all of us. Um, and looking back at the impacts and the effects of the golf industry, it's obviously affected us all in different ways. Mark, what has been the impact this period of closures has had on you as a club and your members. So I think, yeah, as you, as you said, it's it's a year now. So prime uh, prime focus at, at Lucan is our members. We're kind of set up as a 70-30 club. So 70% of our our kind of business and tea times would be our, our, our membership. And then we have some guests with the members and society business in around that. The worrying thing for us that we were just at the tail end of our subscription uh, collection with our membership and and they were facing with possibly six, seven, eight, nine weeks. We didn't know of closure. Uh, and then we looked at ourselves in-house then and we were looking at up to 17, 18 staff members and, and what was going to be the future there. So... It was there was a lot of balls in the air, and we juggled through the first lockdown, and uh, and we moved into a great summer of golf. But we're faced with lockdown number two and lockdown number three, so it's been frustration uh, across the board for everyone, I think. And uh, our our main concern now is trying to get our members back out in the golf course uh, safely, uh, April fifth. And do I suppose from your own point of view? Questions around memberships and subs and how important it is at this time of the year. Do like have you been quizzed up by members as to closure times and have have members been more inquisitive about uh, what a club should do for a member to get them to 
renewed our membership after three months of the year has passed, I suppose. And we've said to our members, what what you give to us now, we'll give back in spades in the future. Uh, so we have various initiatives and value adds that we're going to add to the membership this year and going forward into our, our 125th anniversary next year. Uh, like we've continuous development, we've, we're developing three new holes at the course, uh, and this is all for the members. It's their club at the end of the day, and unfortunately, the way golf clubs are set up, we can't we can't turn off the lights and all head home and wait uh, for let's say April fifth, uh, and, and come back in. And Ed could touch on that a little bit more on the agronomy side of things that. The cost of that, that's daily. We have our guys in the course here uh, throughout the lockdowns. We have our operations team inside both maintenance and administration. Uh, so the show really goes on behind the scenes and there's a communication responsibility to the members to keep them informed with with what's coming from the GUI or the ILGU, which is now Golf Ireland, uh, to make sure that they're actually informed with the right information rather than the social media information or the hearsay on on the various uh, platforms there and so ed i suppose to bring you in on that obviously your golf clubs are obviously they're thriving in this bit of sunshine we've got lately and from a maintenance point of view nothing has really stopped if anything it's gotten a little more expensive i'd say to to run and to maintain golf clubs around this time of the year so I suppose what what impact has has that had on uh, throughout the clubs? You obviously work with nineteen clubs now. Yeah, no, certainly. You know, Mark's right, uh, and you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, like ultimately, grass like children are oblivious to this uh, to this pandemic, um, and 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 are continuing as if uh, as if things are normal. So, you know, all the all the issues that you're managing, whether you're open or closed, they they remain, and, and it's not like a gym where you can literally turn off the lights, you know, shut down for a number of weeks and months, and then come back. The course needs to be maintained in in the first lockdown um you know maintenance staff and golf courses were deemed essential workers and it was deemed essential work and um and that has obviously continued through the two um through two lockdowns since um and so yes i mean like the the costs that a club has to absorb to maintain the golf course when it's open it has had to continue every golf club has had to continue to absorb those costs uh, even when they're closed and i think that you know sometimes is this notion that you know ah, well you know grass doesn't really grow in winter and we can just you know um lowball it for a few months you know yes measures can be taken and we, we would we would sort of look at it that you know the closure of a golf course is probably about 36 labor hours a week is the impact but the agronomic plan still needs to be followed and implemented, uh, you know, particularly during the winter, disease pressures are high, you know, so the ITM programs and, and, and different nutritional programs that clubs will be running still need to be followed. And um, and so, you know, when you take it that a golf course's cost base, you know, more than 50% of that is usually um, around golf course maintenance. So despite the closure uh, and everything that goes along with it, and, you know, I think you referenced 27 weeks of closure, I mean, that's effectively half a year. Uh, the golf course is still incurring virtually 100% of its cost around the most important asset. Um, and without the golf course, there is no golf club. Um, and ultimately, the, the, the members will hopefully return in early April. And I'm sure 
you know, they'll return with high expectations. Um, you know, the course will have been rested. They want it pristine. They want it to be its very best. Uh, but the work and the expenditure and the cost has to be absorbed to achieve that. Um, and certainly in our clubs, that's been the case. We've continued with our winter programmes. And it's really about setting the course ready uh, for a reopening, uh, reopening in April. And, and please God, that, that'll happen. We've no, as, as golf club managers and as industry, you've no control over churn rates and people joining different clubs and moving on and whether they join clubs or not are, are looking at different options. But the importance of that cash flow, Ed, like if you're a member of a golf club and you fully intend to join that golf club and for one reason or another, you haven't paid your subs or nego- or engaged with your club uh, up until this. It's it's really vital for a golf club to keep the doors open um, that people actually support their clubs at this time. Absolutely. I mean, effectively, your your club is your community. Um, and, you know, it, it is different to other other clubs in that, you know, golf, unfortunately, comes with a high with a high cost base um maintaining nine holes 18 holes 27 holes it doesn't matter there there is a significant cost as i said typically uh, more than 50 percent of 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 a, of a club's cost base is purely and directly linked to maintenance so the subs are often the lifeblood i think mark talked about 70 30 um i'm sure that 70 30 has probably you know the, the 70 has grown in size as a portion as that 30 percent has gone down and and so really the subscriptions are are the lifeblood of the club that allows the club to continue to maintain invest um and so that you know there is a golf course to be enjoyed when members come back and we've also seen the other you know remarkable impact of this pandemic has been the growth in in participation levels you know a spike probably not seen in terms of membership numbers for you know a couple of decades and i'm sure pat will have more data on that but but not only then the growth in the actual participation levels, but the growth in the amount of golf being played by individual members. I mean, we have across the car golf courses, we've seen, you know, 30 to 60% growth in rounds played per per member. Um, and that then brings additional challenges and costs around, you know, how do you staff up more to get more work done ahead of golf the additional wear and tear in the golf course. I know a number of clubs that we're working with have looked at you know, purchasing a, an additional fairway more so that they can get out and get the fairways cut ahead of golf because there's just so much pressure now. Uh, it's actually leading to increased cost. So while it's great um, and, and and we hope it's it's sustainable what's happened in the past 12 months, um, but those those subscriptions are, are the lifeblood and, and will ultimately allow the club to reopen, you know, in a, in a very positive way, uh, hopefully in April. Pat here. I was going to ask you that kind of, you know, the pattern in play now where you've got the golf course closed um, for much of the time and really intense play when it reopens. Does that have an impact on the maintenance of the golf course, the maintenance plans, the way that, you know, instead of having a steady flow of play throughout the year, it's kind of on off? Yeah, no, it, it certainly has around, you know, resourcing plans, you know, scheduling of works. We, we've, we've had to be creative. Um, mm-hmm. 
I guess there are certain works and tasks on a golf course that be, can be quite disruptive. And you're acutely aware, like coming out of the last lockdown, we were acutely aware that the course had been closed for, for two months or give or take at that stage when we reopened. Um, and so you don't want to be doing those disruptive works that maybe you might have done traditionally in July, August, September. You don't, you don't necessarily want to do that. We're now faced with a situation coming out of this lockdown whereby for virtually six months we've been closed and now we're acutely aware that we really do not want to form be disruptive to golf when it actually reopens so we have had to rethink how we do things um you know the extra cope with the extra demand on the golf course you know you know you need to be able to get as much work done ahead of golf as possible so you know start times scheduling of works how jobs and tasks get completed we've had to rethink and 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 re-engineer some of that so that we can create as positive an experience as we can for the members and their guests and and visitors when they do arrive um you know in in this new in this new reality yeah, because quite rightly, they're going to have <clears throat> very high expectations, aren't they? Mm. With the golf course having been closed for so long. Yeah. I was just going to ask Mark just around, um, like, have you have you had members um, who have been slow in paying their subscription? I mean, that's something we've kind of heard anecdotally, but that has that actually hit home within your club? Majority of the members uh, are on board for this year. Uh, we've gone out to them weekly and told them exactly where we are, what we require for the year going ahead. So we're, we're in a positive space. With that, we still have a waiting list. Uh, so we're still waiting to see the final uh, few percent to come in uh, and see who's going to take up their sub. We've obviously in, in every club, you have leave of absence due to illness or injury or relocation or, or, or family commitment. So we'll just, we'll tidy up that in the coming weeks and hopefully we know where we are. The golfer that popped down for three or four rounds in the summer, but always was a member, is no longer there. You now have a very active golfer and uh, the people that join your club are playing 30, 40, 50 rounds a year, especially in the last year anyway. You could say that eight, nine months of golf last year, uh, they compressed probably two or three years worth of golf in in that eight, nine months. It's a real balancing act. The, the business model is changing. And as Ed said, the 70-30 could more become 80-20 uh, uh, soon enough because our members demand more tea time. We have to become more flexible uh, uh, and we have to try and uh, prioritize our members even more now because of these closures to give them some of the value add and the value back for their membership and paul i suppose to bring you in on that um obviously art glass as a golf club um is exposed to some things that other clubs aren't as it's heavily reliant i suppose on international uh, travel and uh, overseas business and with no inbound tourism how has that affected the running of the club this year yeah, it's um like from a member point of view, like we're a, we're a predominantly, you know, we are a members golf club. Um, two thousand and nineteen happened to be, you know, obviously our best year where visitors came from, and it, and it was all to do with the open at Port Rush. And but it also was a significant change here where our visitor income outdone our membership subscription income. So, um, we then came into the lockdown and we we had the same problems as everybody else. It was a whole lot of demand and. Golf clubs around us were doing deals to bring members in, and some of our members were saying, "You know, why are we not doing this? We we need the money, blah blah blah." But it was, it was, it was going to put 
it was going to be a short-term fix for a bit of a cash flow and and we were in a position where we like we're not cash rich by all means but we were in a position where we didn't have to rush into doing that because it would have been a very short-term thing and would have put a problem on top of and what would be seen as a problem already with trying to balance um, member times with visitor times you know i'm a great believer in that you know the visitors the more visitors we have benefit the current members not necessarily new members that come in for guys that have been here 20 25 years because any members you bring in now they want the same tea times as the current members and we already had a lot of those issues on certain days of the week so we made a decision that you know we're not going to we would have called it the race to the bottom by just you know half and subs and bringing more people in so i'm glad we done that but at that time we were we were certainly thinking of from a visitor point of view lockdown come in and we think right so we'll, we'll get the tail end of the year august september october we'll get some income and then every day or every other day or you know there was changes it very quickly became that there was there was going to be no international travel with the quarantine and stuff like that so from an administration point of view, we're spending an awful lot of time on transferring bookings to later in the year, transferring bookings to 2022, some to 2023, 2021. So it's and and all that administration was going on at the same time as trying to balance, uh, you know, a very busy members club at the same time with all the same issues that, that Mark had there. And as a PGA professional, then as well, obviously you've stock issues buying issues projection issues uh outside of a normal uh club manager's role director of golf role yeah is that being as difficult obviously with stock issues especially because you couldn't get your hands on stuff last year yeah so you're trying to balance that so and it was a, it was a very much a i've said this before it was a learning curve for me as well because i've been here 10 years now and, and the profile of our glass has been growing and growing membership has been very stable but the visitor and tourism side of things has been growing and growing and I've grown with it. But you, you then don't have the time to put into other things that you should be doing within your business. Um, so I learned an awful lot that way. But from a stock point of view, the timing couldn't have been worse because we, we tend to bring in a lot of stuff March 1st. Um, and where I was concerned, I probably had, you know, I think I had 75, 80% of my stock in. There's an hourglass pressed on it all. So it's in, it has to be paid for. You're being told there's going to be visitors at the tail end of the year, so you see the positive in that, and then very quickly it started to move to 2021, and nobody would have guessed it would be sitting here now, you know, talking about 2022, and we're just well hopeful that you know it's all going to come back and it disappears certainly in 2021, and we can start a phrase in 2022. And we're all kind of still in the dark on this, but to bring you in in this pat, I suppose this time last year you sat in the hot seat. You know, with, with hopefully three weeks to go before we get the green light for golf and nothing's confirmed yet, but what was it like behind the scenes this time last year before we got that reopening in May? Now, just before I go on to that, just to talk about maybe some of the other clubs that are out there, like the guys have spoken about, in Mark's case, a club that, you know, is um, has a has a waiting list and in Paul's case, one that's reliant on green fees, but... Maybe Ed might be aware of some, you know, some other facilities out there that, um, you know, that took in a lot of members. He referred to an increase in membership. I think across the board there was a 20,000 uh, 20, increase in membership, which is 10%. Um, so quite a significant uplift in, in membership across the board. And, you know, in, in a lot of clubs, that was a bit of a lifeblood for them in, in challenging times. Um, I don't know, Ed, if you have any clients at clubs that were relying on those new members. 
Yeah, no, very much so. I mean, you've got, you, you, I guess you've you very different profiles, you know, be it Dublin, city-based, urban-based versus rural-based clubs. Um, but certainly membership growth was key. And for many clubs, it was somewhat of a boom last year. Um, and, and definitely, you know, maybe clubs that might have been reliant on overdrafts to survive, you know, maybe came out of the season in a surplus position. So from that point of view, it was good. Some some of the more sort of commercially orientated clubs, um, you know, it, it has been difficult. There There's obviously been a growth in membership. Um, but like, you know, we, we, I know of one particular club whereby, you know, in 2019, membership revenue accounted for about 25% of total revenue and member rounds would have been 25% of, 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 of total rounds. So it was balanced. But then last year, we that particular club ended up in a scenario whereby, yes, membership revenue became 37% of revenue, a bit like Mark, the, the percentage of revenue as it was membership increased. But, you know, member rounds accounted now for 63% of rounds. So you've got this complete imbalance forming um, when you when you have a, for a golf club that was somewhat reliant or pointing towards the green fee segment or the visitor segment or the society segment and certainly those clubs have have had a, a very challenging time um and in reality 2021 would appear to be no different um and so you know in all likelihood you know the current playing patterns are somewhat unsustainable at the at the current levels of membership um and and fee income and so you know we want to retain we we this sort of twenty thousand extra members, this increase in participation. I mean, I think retention is critical, but how does a club, uh, particularly one that has had seen such a major shift in its in its in its in its sort of profile of of, of revenue and, and profile of golf fair, how does it how does it square that circle? Um but but there is this question is well, what do actually members want going forward? What do they want from the club and, and are they then you know, prepared to sort of trade off if necessary, be that, you know, increasing fees um, to justify, you know, the, the, the higher level of play and the, the opportunity cost that comes for, for some golf clubs that are more reliant on, on, on the visitor, you know. And dealing with that growth in membership then, Ed, um, there are some clubs that are, are charging more or the members have actually asked the golf clubs to pay more so the membership have more time and there's less time available to the public. And as green fee rounds reduce and membership time increases, that that demand is going to make the game more expensive in 2021 for, for a lot of people. And could that hamper the growth of the game? Absolutely, it could. And, and, and that's, that's, like, that's why I touch on the retention. You know, these, these new golfers, maybe some of them returning to golf, um, you know, some of the people that have even joined in recent years, if 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 there is a need and a requirement to re-engineer the business somewhat to to make it more viable with a higher with less revenue coming from sort of third party sources, shall we say? Well, you know, what will that do to the overall membership landscape? And um and I, I'm not sure there's a right and wrong answer. You know, maybe different clubs will go in different directions and 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 there will be you know this will settle down um but you know it's certainly something that every club is grappling with at the moment and i'm sure mark and and and, and paul in their committee rooms are, are are looking at this and you know what type of club are they going to be going forward what long-term effect is this going to have 
on the different models that 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 are adopted in different golf clubs interesting problem to have isn't it where you know increased participation is you know suddenly becoming a talking point and almost an issue within golf which is very different from where we were you know a couple of years ago um but uh you know i, I think the complication is down to the fact that members playing more rounds doesn't bring in more revenue um and there's some sort of a, a, a rebalance there, as, as Ed has said, and there's no question about that. Um, yeah, going back to the hot seat, I mean, it's never easy to be in the hot seat, um, but certainly this time, this time last year, it was, it was hugely difficult. Um, you know, I, I, thinking back on it, I, you know, the week when golf clubs closed was definitely the worst week of my life in term, from a professional perspective. Um, you know, after t- sort of 20 years in the GOI, it was definitely the toughest. And... You know, we, we, together with the ILGU, took a decision to uh, re- recommend that golf courses uh, close. And it was an interpretation um, of, you know, uh, uh, an announcement by the Taoiseach at the time. And we came in for desperate criticism for making that call. Um, t- two, three days later was the day that uh, the Taoiseach uh, announced the full lockdown with the two kilometre restriction and so on. So that took some of the heat off us. But... You know, we had we had people asking, you know, who are you to tell us to close or, you know, you don't have the power to recommend that we should close our golf courses. And we had some golf courses indeed that remained open in the few days that, that followed. Um, and obviously they, they then closed, either either were closed by the on Gardaí or were, you know, closed following the Taoiseach's uh, announcement. So like thinking back, I mean, it seems like an awful lot longer than a year ago. Um, it's been a terribly long year, but yeah, it was a tough time. Um, and we were acutely aware of the impact of our decisions on golf clubs, you know, on Mark and Paul running and Ed and Car Golf running golf facilities. Um, but at the same time, everybody was reacting and there's no manual, you know, there's no book you can read to say how you should plan for these kinds of things. So we were acutely aware, but at the same time, um, trying to kind of get a line from Sport Ireland or from the government about what we can and can't do. And indeed, at one point, I think golf course maintenance wasn't permitted uh, for a few days following uh, lockdown uh, until we got a line from from the department to say that you you know as as Ed mentioned earlier, this is considered essential maintenance. So look, it was a really tough time. Um, we didn't we we didn't probably gain a whole lot of friends during that period. But at the same time, looking back, my my sense is that we made the right calls, um, difficult calls at at, at the right time. Um, you know, I think for, you know, sometimes in social media and so on, you get, you get criticized for, uh, for calls or decisions made or for communications of other people's decisions, uh, uh, whether that's GUI, ILGU communicating a Sport Ireland decision, it's always seen as the GUI making a bad call or whatever. Um, I think probably the bit that those people don't do is put themselves in the, in the position of the people making the calls, uh, and, you know, there was nobody within the GUI or ILGU board or, uh, that wanted golf courses to close. Um, there was nobody within Sport Ireland that wanted, wanted sport to stop. And I'm sure there was nobody in the government that wanted the, the lockdown to start, you know, or the economy to shut down and so on. But these are hard calls that I think people had to make at those points in time. Yeah, and, and Mark, Mark said earlier around, you know, waiting for the GUI and the ILGU to come up with protocols and what we do and whether we close the clubhouse or the restaurant and 
you know, we were we were kind of trying to get advice from a step above us um, and then tailor it to meet to fit golf. Um, and at the same time, we're the ones that know golf best. So we were feeding back saying, we don't think that's going to work. Can we can we tweak this slightly? And all of this was going on in the space of a, a few days and golf clubs saying, you know, what can we what can we do? What we should should do? So there's a certain frustration on golf clubs that maybe the information wasn't quicker. But as I said, there isn't like a well, now there is a manual. But at the time, there wasn't a manual to say, OK, let's pull this off a shelf and say, here's what you do in 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 level one of a return to golf or level two or you know um we, we just didn't have that sort of information at the at that time so it took it took a little while to compile i think i mean if you look at what golf <clears throat> across the board um or how golf uh behaved it's probably the wrong word to to use but um you know golf was one of the first sports back after the the lock the first lockdown it and tennis were two sports that were actually name checked golf did really really well golfers behaved really well they stuck to the protocols if you remember at the beginning it was two balls at really wide intervals and you know it was actually a joy playing golf at that point in time but um you know golfers stuck to the protocols and certainly government was was aware of how well golf did and there weren't breaches of protocols as there were in other sectors and so on. So um, I think in terms of where we are now, uh, we're in a very position, good position to to get going again because we haven't blotted, our cop- blotted the copybook, you know, in the last 12 months. Um, you know, there are some people that feel that the GUI or the ILG or now Golf Ireland should be shouting louder on behalf of golf um, and engaging in kind of megaphone diplomacy and so on. I suspect if we had done that last year, we wouldn't have got access back to golf as quickly as we did. You know, um, it was the fact that we kind of communicated behind the scenes and then the golfers, um, you know, did a really good job in sticking to the protocols whenever golf uh, did reopen. The communication of that though, Pat, I suppose, um, is one thing that Golf Ireland get, is getting a lot of abuse for online is the communication of, I don't think there's anybody questions what's going on behind the scenes um and it's that communication from Gulf Ireland to Sport Ireland and to government that's all nobody questions it that it's I, I think a lot of people are more more frustrated of the communication then from Gulf Ireland as to that process to its clubs and then to the clubs in turn to be able to inform their membership yeah I can't speak too much about what's going on the last number of months you know in terms of um behind the scenes and communication Certainly this time last year and up until July when I left. And, you know, I know from speaking with colleagues in the GOI after July, August, September, when they were still uh, the governing bodies along with the ILGU, like the the level of communication, it was um, very significant. I mean, very intense. Personally, I was speaking with John Tracy and Paul McDermott in Sport Ireland on a virtually a daily basis, trying to get updates. Um, there was communication with members of the expert group, um, uh, certainly between. So, so Mark Mark Canelli, obviously the now CEO of Golf Ireland, was in situ. Uh, so there's a huge amount done, and then so you hear, you know, they're up to nothing or whatever, or you know, they're they're not doing enough work. It's quite frustrating. But rest assured, two things: there's an, an awful lot of activity, and uh, and if we went the other route, the 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 loudmouth route, I think we'd end up worse off than than you know the the results we have achieved i suppose that that outcry online um from people the approach of online petitions and uh tagging 
TDs and posts and so does that type of noise help golf? Um, I'd say two things on that. One, it does get noticed. Um, and two, it's certainly not helpful. Um, uh, you know, and now having said that, I think there's a certain understanding, um, certainly is my view that there are kind of two extremes of people. There are people that want to shut the country down and shut God down, shut everything down. And there, and you know, if we don't do it, we're, we're murderers, we're killers, we're killing people because, you know, golf clubs are open. And we had letters along those lines in the GOI and there were, you know, social media comments along those lines. And then you've got the other extreme that believe that golf courses should remain open the whole time, despite the fact that we're in a pandemic and that, you know, they can't argue there's no risk in golf. Golf is definitely low risk activity, but nothing is a no risk activity in a pandemic. So you've got those two extremes of people. And for whatever reason, it seems that they get louder uh, and a little bit angrier. Maybe it's because the, you know, society generally is frustrated or whatever. Um, so I kind of tend to ignore both extremes and focus a little bit more on the middle. Um, and I think it's an awful lot easier to explain the processes and the decisions and so on to reasonable people. I think they understand when you start with, you know, if I'm having a conversation with a friend sometime last year, you know, trying to, you know, the starting point is, ah, you know, what were you doing recommending golf courses to close? And then you start explaining why, and they get it very quickly. So I think most reasonable people probably support the position of the GOI. And that was echoed by the fact that most golf courses did close on a recommendation. There were only a handful that decided that they wouldn't. And Pat, what those golf clubs that decided not to, how did the, the GOI look at that? Uh, you know, again, they, they were, we did, we did recommend that they close because we, we actually don't have or didn't have the power to close a golf course. I, I definitely think we had the um, obligation to advise golf courses to close as we did. Um, but, you know, I, I can't speak on behalf of the, the board of the GUI, but personally, I look very unfavorably on them. I mean, they, they, they were a number of them were actually in, in um, you know, national media, you know, articles written about them and quoted and so on. And, you know, that's just really unhelpful. And it's, 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 you know, kind of, it, you know, it gives out that message that golfers don't care or golf doesn't care. And we know that that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, definitely not helpful. Um, and eventually, of course, they had to close, they were forced to, to, to close a, a matter of days after we made that recommendation. Just on that part, like, as a golfer, Myself, I think we all became a little hostile last year. It, it was a big change in the culture. The member to hear these kind of instructions coming from uh, from the unions. Usually the unions are sending out draws and rules and championships and, and various things like that. I think as golfers, it was a huge culture change to say that the union was advising us how to nearly live our life or play our golf. But that's that's what we've been getting here in the office. And as a golfer myself, I think, unfortunately, uh, you were subject to the finger pointing in the last 12 months. Yeah, and I, I can understand that. I mean, it's people don't necessarily understand that a decision communicated by the GUI, the RLG, and now Golf Ireland is not actually the decision of. Um, now, the first one that we made, as I said, uh, was a recommendation uh, based on the decision of the boards of the GOI, the ILGU, but most of the other information communicated was something that we, uh, whether it was, you know, the, the uh, travel restrictions, the um, non-competition, you know, the, the, in the Republic of Ireland, the, uh, 
the ban on playing competition golf, you know, casual golf only. So those kinds of things were not calls we made. Um, they were calls we challenged and asked questions about and so on, on behalf of golf clubs, obviously, who, were, who we represent. Um, but they weren't calls we made. Now, that's not to say I blame Sport Ireland or the extra or the expert group for um, for the calls that they made because they're in equally a difficult position. They're receiving, you know, a, a very broad set of rules from the government and having to apply them to sport. Then we're we're, we're receiving a broad set of rule, rules from Sport Ireland and having to try and apply them to golf. And it's not an exact science, and it all has to be done in a very short space of time because. The, the the virus won't wait four or five days for us to figure this out, you know. Um, so yeah, it was also very different for us to be in that position of, you know, whether advising or directing golf clubs what to do. You know, it was equally uh, a, a very different environment for us to be in as it was for golf clubs to hear us in that position. But you're right in saying nobody else could have done that. Um, you know, in, in for every other sport, the governing body, or in our case, bodies, um, uh, w was issuing that kind of guidance to their to their to their to their respective clubs. The worrying thing I have is is how long this is going to affect. Because uh, certainly in our position, we we were coming into the twenty twenty season. We were going through a course development plan. Um, we had pretty much fifty percent of that complete, which started in two thousand and seventeen. And we were getting into the really exciting stuff of green complexes and stuff like that. And obviously with our, our visitor income way down, those those plans have been have been shelved. And it's just how long those plans are, are shelved for. This is putting more of a value on memberships then, isn't it? It's, it's uh, you know, I, I suppose for a long time in the golf industry, uh, I know everyone's perception of this would be different, but green fees were undersold or devalued since sort of recessionary times in Ireland and it might be looked on as a consumer as a positive thing but the the product that you get served for your 20 25 quid or 30 euros round of golf is not what the expectation of some people have towards golf so this can be a positive thing I'm assuming on the industry as a whole to actually put more of a value on membership on handicap on participation in clubs and growing at thriving club network across the country it can but i think you know you you've you've got this imbalance as well which you've talked about whereby you know many clubs not all but many clubs are their their pricing structure or their their offering is is reflective of where golf was pre-pandemic in terms of pricing in terms of of everything and then you know you have you have this shock which had such a significant impact on the business and the type of business so you have got a little bit of a disconnect now between the type of business that a club has vis-a-vis -vis the pricing structure that was maybe you know more aligned to how the business was you know pre-pandemic so clubs are going to have to navigate through that and um, i think another big learning i would say from 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 our perspective is you know around members i mean you know, despite everything, dissatisfaction levels were, were were high in some cases because they couldn't get access to the T-sheet because of the restrictions that we've talked about or the 27 weeks closures we've talked about. And, you know, there was a complete, there was a complete disconnect. Like, you know, we had, I just citing one example, there was one member that had played 79 rounds of golf in six months. 
but yet was incredibly critical and dissatisfied uh, at, at not being able to book the kind of the time that that, that individual wanted and, and was putting an awful lot of pressure on committees, etc. So we, we have to be cognizant that, you know, while we've had this increased participation, um, retention is critical. And how do you do that? In, a, in an environment whereby th there's a certain level of maybe dissatisfaction around how much they can play or how much access they have. I know an awful lot of the member clubs with, with larger, uh, with larger uh, memberships ended up having to go to just li limiting it to nine-hole golf so that members could actually gain access. So how do you square that circle whereby you, know, you, can, you can retain large swathes of your membership if there is this, you know, uh, certain level of dissatisfaction with the status quo, and and so communication is critical. I think you know clubs need really really need to work on and pay attention to their communication strategy with members, um, and setting expectations. But be honest about the challenges that are being faced as well. So the last year has obviously been quite tough. So, what can we learn going forward and bring to help us into twenty twenty one to deal with these problems? Something we might we we probably learned on the governing body side is like when when golf restarted last year uh, after the first lockdown it was a really really cautious restart and that was done on purpose in order to ensure that we could show that you know golf was safe and um, golfers were responsible and so on um, I think we can probably now I'm not involved but I suspect that we can probably be a bit more. Um, a bit less cautious in terms of the restart uh, by you know increasing group sizes, uh, reducing the time intervals, allowing more rounds to be played each day on a golf course. Um, I think another thing we learned is that we all love the game of golf. <laughs> we 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 kind of you know we we kind of uh, reignited that love for the game um, because people had way more time and because golf was one of the few things that people could do. People played a lot more golf and. You know, I'm hoping that that can persist into, you know, post-pandemic, uh, that people are reminded of how great the game is and that it is okay to spend four hours on a golf course. In fact, it's better than okay. It's enjoyable. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's probably what, what I've taken from it. Yeah, hopefully those trends do continue, Pat. Ed, from a capital investment point of view, obviously we're hearing from Paul and from Mark there about Ard Glass and Luke and both going through development projects that were kind of paused um, in the midst of what was happening around COVID. So are you seeing that across the board? Like has investment in capital projects, has it ground to a halt? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's what I was saying about the investment and, you know, needing to continue to improve. I mean, there's no doubt that... You know, I think I think many golf clubs there was that that on that huge level of uncertainty around you know the first lockdown as you said there was no playbook nobody had ever experienced anything like this, and so the natural um you know reaction was to be quite cautious and so many many programs would have been you know put on hold etc. Now what I will also say about that is is that the sports capital program then came in and actually you know a lot of money came into golf clubs for investment so you know there was then a turning back on of the tap around you know course improvement plans and and and, and all of that and um, it would appear that you know golf will probably not get the same slice of the cake maybe in future um allocation um rounds of allocations than 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 it had maybe in the last couple and therefore you know how are clubs going to fund improvements and and these these capital programs going forward um 
and 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 that will be a challenge but it is important that you know that the model take account of the fact that you know investment is needed in facilities um and that generally you know improvement and investment um generally revenue will follow you know it'll the club will become more appealing it'll have a higher profile satisfaction levels will improve same with maintenance standards and and where a club is seen to be progressive and going in the right direction um it tends to be experiencing growth as well um and equally those clubs that aren't um you know on a on, on the same path aren't making those investments aren't making taking the necessary improvements or course maintenance standards aren't where they need to be um they will find they will find that their 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 income will, will actually decline so you do have this vicious circle um that you know paying attention to these areas and and finding ways of of making investments and and of course improvements is important and it's something that's really ongoing yeah i would agree with that there that the the investment is key to to keep moving forward and i give you a, a, an example of where we were as i said before 2019 was our best year ever we've had major growth over the last 10 years we recruited um two or three new staff um at the tail end of 2019 to come into the 2020 season we had all these development plans in place over the next couple of years and then bang and we haven't actually got back to the table where the conversations are actually starting again where right hopefully we're going to be back to normal again next year will we start planning this stuff again those conversations have been shelved but from our glasses point of view i'm hoping that that's something that is starting to be discussed sooner rather than later to try and put the positive spin back on it yeah, we were the same, Paul. Our, our tree hole development, we took a third of it in, in 2020 uh, and and we're hoping to start now after St. Patrick's Day. But it, it just shows how vital the membership support is because if that membership support isn't there, that development doesn't continue. And I think we were all a little bit cautious on 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 a few areas of the operations in our golf clubs in 2020 we just need that membership support now and that's kind of our message out to our members why why should you pay your sub because we continue to develop the club on an annual basis which is very different to the the model that we have so we we our development is all based on visitor income so and then we took the decision to not increase the membership subscriptions for 2021 it's the same price as 2020 so it's a very different story for you mark compared to us you know we depend on the the visitor income to develop and our membership is we're actually just trying to keep their attention does anyone have a sense on the the you know the 20,000 extra members across the the island of ireland uh, which as i said earlier is 10 percent um as to whether you know we're gonna golf is gonna retain those i mean my sense is certainly this year when we have the same conditions, i.e. golf being one of the few things that you can do, uh, sports and general recreational activities you can do, um, and people having more time that we will, you know, will be successful in retaining the members this year. I'm not so sure. I mean, very hopeful that those new people will have a good experience and that they'll stay beyond, uh, beyond this year. Um, uh, but does anyone have a sense about, you know, whether they, whether we will retain those people and, the kind of challenge involved in retaining them 
It's difficult to know, isn't it? I mean, you know, I, I think back to our, you know, we, we did some work together in 2010 after the last, you know, global uh, crisis and, and, and we, we, we would have worked on the Gulf, the, the report and the road to recovery document. And, and at that time, there had been a major shift away from Gulf. You know, there was there was the obvious drop in your, your you know, the, the official numbers. And I think if memory serves, they went from sort of 250-ish down to sub 200,000 at the time. Um, and, and and so there had been such huge growth through the Celtic Tiger. And, and that drop in numbers didn't even, I don't think, fully um, explain or, or, or didn't fully, you know, actually reflect the experience of clubs whereby maybe an individual who was only registered once, but he might, you know, that he or she might've had multiple memberships. And so not only were you, did you have the, the 250 dropped to south of two, but you had people who had maybe, you know, their local two their local club and then their club near their holiday home and another club whereby they consolidated into sort of one membership. And so the impact was huge and people, there was a social shift, I think, away from golf that was seen as, you know, part of that Celtic tiger, um, you know, um, experience and and you know, fitness and all that. And so you know, pe- more and more people started moving towards cycling and triathlons and and those different different sports. And and obviously the next generation coming through maybe weren't signing up to the same degree. The, the hope, if if these things are cyclical, the hope is maybe if if the pandemic has had uh, an effect of bringing people to golf for a first time or even back to golf that you know the opposite will be true in this case that you know those people will actually are migrating back towards golf for all of the positives that you outlined earlier you know your mental health your physical health you know competitive camaraderie out in the fresh air safe um etc you know and and maybe you know i think time was was also deemed a huge factor back in 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 the previous recession where people were deemed to be time poor you know maybe if if the sort of the working from home trend is to continue maybe not to the degree as it is now through the pandemic but maybe people have reprioritized or maybe they can work from home a couple of days a week now and if that means that people are less time poor um and and gives them the opportunity uh to 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 play golf the hope is that they can be retained but the the clubs have a lot of work to do as well to create an environment whereby people want to remain part of it i think ed's Ed's point around um you know the people we lost after the last recession uh you know i certainly have a sense that they were not all active golfers um you know you lost a lot of people who joined the club but maybe played a few times a year and then they were looking at the finances and um and decided you know maybe that's not worth paying the money for it uh given that money was more scarce uh, back then this time around certainly all the people that did join were active golfers you know last year whenever they could they played um so that has to be a positive in terms of in terms of retaining them as long as as ed said the the club can can you know get a, get across that value proposition of membership which is very different as we all know to uh to green fee golf you know being a member of a club having the social side crack the you know meeting new people competition on a regular basis um is very very different from showing up every now and again and playing a game of golf whenever you can get access to the tea time so you know i'm 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 i've no doubt there's this serious value proposition in being a member of a club you know inter-club golf the teams you can play on having a handicap the whole shebang is is a 
definite value proposition. And obviously there's a chunk of people out there who've always thought that that was the case, you know, 200,000 people and we've added another 20 last year. So hopefully they'll uh, get the bug. The, the, Ed, the um, expectation levels, I've, I've obviously I've worked in golf for 20, 22 or three years. And, but before that played the game and when I was younger playing the game in the, maybe the late eighties, that kind of time, early nineties, expectation levels on the, you know, the, the maintenance of the golf course were fairly low. You know, we put up with winter conditions with temporary greens and worm casts. And, you know, we, there wasn't a huge, uh, a huge expectation from members on, on the course being presented in an immaculate condition, you know, 24 or sorry at 365 days of the year have you like i know obviously car golf have been maintaining golf courses for many years have you witnessed a change in expectations in the period you've been doing your work yeah certainly uh there's, there's no doubt i mean and 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 you know it's funny when you you know when you say take on a course and you and you make some changes in the initial year or two um, and and it has a big impact, um, but all of a sudden, you know, the members' expectations, you know, grows, and so you know those improvements that you made in in year one, year two, you know, there there needs to be that continuous and never ending uh, sense of improvement, um, and so expectations will always grow. The you know the better you make something, you know, the more those expectations increase, um, and certainly you know there's no doubt with with improve improved equipment, improved you know. Uh, product development around chemicals and availability of chemicals and increased budgets and increased training for greenkeepers. The, 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 the standard of presentation of golf courses in Ireland over the last number of years, um, you know, going back, you know, 10, 20, 30 years has improved immeasurably. Um, but, but people have an appetite to see that continue. Um, and it is about trying to find ways that you're, you know, you're constantly on that, that path of, of, of improvement. And, um, and and the the pandemic has 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 caused challenges to that as a result of um as as a result of you know the additional play the additional wear and tear the limited time to to get work done, um so it's really about finding innovative ways of around that and managing it so that you can continue to deliver on those expectations and grow. Yeah, but uh, totally agree that that the level of expectation is huge and the level of investment that comes with that. Is also huge, and clubs need to find all different types of sources of income because the, the the subscriptions haven't really grown with the same level of expectation. So you have to find other ways to bring money in to, in order to invest in all those things. I think the experience as well is critical. At the end of the day, we're trying to you know provide an experience for members and guests, um, and so you know being being aware of that, being conscious of that, um, and and focusing on delivering that experience day in day out. Um, is also critical then to meeting those expectations. An interesting point about the growth was the 20,000 were almost all male. You know, very, very small uplift in female membership. And just to Ed's point about making the, the golf course a more, uh, you know, welcoming environment or a place that people want to go, there's something around, not for all golf clubs, but for some, just changing it and making it more, uh, a more attractive place for female members to to come and to play golf and to you know enjoy the clubhouse facilities and so on. I mean we're we're not we're doing pretty well in the sense that we're around nineteen percent uh, female membership, which is a hell of a lot better than our neighbours over across the water. Um, but in on continental Europe, you know that figure is closer to you know 40 percent um, in in the likes of Germany. Um, so I think there's a there's a 
big opportunity there to attract, you know, another um, 20% uh, female membership, um, which has to be fairly low hanging fruit. And, you know, I know now with obviously the GUI and the ILGU gone as separate governing bodies, um, a club effectively can be one club. So I think that that shift and then, you know, some thought given to how golf can be more friendly to females is really, really low hanging fruit. I mean, we know there are a ton of people out there, uh, women and girls that will play golf if we make it that bit more attractive. So there's, there's something about that. And, and I was a little bit saddened to see that the, the uplift in membership last year was you know, almost exclu exclusively male. And it's around the kind of cultural change within the club facility. I've just no doubt about that. Um, just making people, making female golfers, uh, women and girls feel feel more welcome than they maybe do at the moment. Now, and and again, I don't want to be sound harsh on this one because there has been definitely been a significant shift in the last decade or more. Um, there's more work to be done for sure. Obviously, last May, Pat, it was quite um, late in the day when government decide they're going to make a decision and the unions may know that golf is part of the reopening process, but not 100% will it be included in that particular press conference. So there's a lot of scrambling behind the scenes. It's a very short lead-in time then for Golf Ireland to find out that golf is open and then relay that to clubs and then clubs to prepare. So how difficult a situation is that to navigate? Yeah, it's well, certainly last year was very tricky and I, I really don't think it's going to change this year. I suspect that, you know, um, given that the, the virus, you know, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't mind what day or doesn't know what day it is or what date it is, I suspect the government will announce very late again and again not a criticism because they're reacting to you know um sort of you know difficult circumstances or whatever but i suspect that they'll decide quite late um that certain and what 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 they'll decide presumably is that you know certain outdoor sports are allowed and they mightn't even name check golf or or uh, tennis or whatever else um uh it'll then you know have be handed down to sport ireland and the expert group to you know determine whether it's golf tennis and if it is then what kinds of um conditions are imposed on the reopening and then there'll be a dialogue between at that point between golf ireland and sport ireland for a number of days so you know my hunch on this is that um you know if if for example the date being mentioned in the press loosely uh, of, of the 5th of april is is the actual date it could well be the very end of this month or even the beginning of april before we're going out sorry not we but golf ireland i should say is going out to uh to golf to golf clubs with real clarity on things like group times and uh group sizes and tee times and so on now obviously this time around a bit more preparatory work can be done or has been done um but you know it's going to be frustrating for for golf clubs to again to be waiting on that information and then suddenly to have to act on it i'm sure you know for mark and paul and ed in the golf clubs that car golf manage um that that's going to pose a really significant challenge in terms of the like challenges there I, sh I probably should have mentioned um uh certainly within the republic of ireland um northern ireland have been a bit more lenient in terms of these things and one is travel you know travel a general travel restriction and the other one is competitive sport and 
you know, they're not things that Golf Ireland will have uh, a decision-making um, ability in relation to. You know, there'll be a call made in relation to sport and competition. There'll be a call made in relation to the entire society and travel restrictions. And in the same way as no other activity uh, that isn't considered essential will have an exemption from a general travel uh, restriction. Uh, golf won't. Um, but we don't know what they look like now for the 5th of April. And we won't know until very near date i suspect as always thanks for tuning into the podcast this week and i'd like to thank pat finn mark ruddy paul vaughan and ed pettit uh, for joining me in the show cheers lads uh, really appreciate your time it was a bit of an inside track on i suppose what happens behind the scenes and bits that you mightn't have heard before or mightn't be aware of so hopefully we do get the green light i know they've got the green light up the north already since we recorded that um so hopefully april 5th is still uh, a date that we're going to stick to in the south and the numbers stack up and the statistics allow that to happen. So fingers crossed that we can all get back at it soon. As always, if you enjoyed that, please subscribe and leave us a review in the comment section below on whatever streaming service you use to get your podcasts. We do have weekly pods up um, on tournament reviews, interviews and some in-depth industry chats like that just to give you a little bit of insight. So. Again, cheers for tuning in and we'll chat to you again soon. Bye.